The reading is Matthew 14, 13 to 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by the boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed those who were ill. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he told the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to look at that very famous account of the feeding of the 5,000, one of the few events of uh, Jesus' life and ministry that is recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for us. Uh, so God clearly thinks it's, it's pretty important, so uh, maybe we should pray uh, as we uh, look at it together that uh, we will be open to what he is saying to us. Heavenly Father, we've just heard that to you alone belongs the highest praise. And that we're to lift our eyes to you, the giver of life. Uh, we pray that as we come before your life-giving word this morning, in this famous passage, we would have open hearts and open ears to hear what you want to say to us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been thinking about responding to Jesus, responding uh, to the King uh, in our series in Matthew. And response is often connected to expectation, isn't it? How you respond to an event depends on what you are uh, expecting. Uh, I came across a cartoon, which I think we're going to see on the screen uh, this, this morning. Uh, two school children, maybe if you're a Pathfinder or a platformer, you might echo with this, resonate with this a little bit. What grade did you get? I got an A. Really? Oh, I'd hate to be you. I got a C. Why on earth would you rather get a C than an A? I find my life's a lot easier the lower I keep everyone's expectations. Maybe you can resonate with that if you're someone who's been to school. You know, if, you, if people aren't expecting that much and you get a slightly higher grade than they're expecting, you walk home with a spring in your step, don't you? If people are expecting a top, top grade and you don't quite hit it, oh, you don't really want to walk home and show your parents or whoever at your test score. Um, not just people at school, though, is it? Uh, we all know that expectations uh, change the way we feel about something. Think about Christmas last year when we were told that we might get five days to see family uh, and friends, but then the data changes, the statistics, COVID statistics go up, and, and that has to be taken away, and we're only allowed one day. Uh, and that might well have been the right call, but it felt hard, didn't it? <laughs> felt a lot harder having been offered something much more than what we got expectation determines 
response, what we're expecting, determines how we respond. So the question as we come before this passage that ought to be buzzing around our brains is what are we expecting from Jesus? What are we expecting from Jesus? What do we think he's going to be doing? Are we expecting big church buildings full of people, lots of projects going on in the community and in the world? Are we expecting that? Are we expecting him to be helping me with my personal life struggles? Uh, What are we expecting of Jesus? Just an important question to think about when we come to church this morning. When we come to Jesus' word, what are we expecting from him? An expectation is really what's, um, what's in the air uh, as we come to this passage. And there's two groups of people we're going to look at, the crowds and the disciples. And they each respond slightly differently to Jesus, uh, and they each have different expectations. So let's, let's start by looking at uh, the crowds. Uh, and what we see is the crowds expect Jesus to build an earthly kingdom. The crowds expect Jesus to build an earthly kingdom. And, and really, a lot of the passage and how we understand it revolves around verse 13. We hear in verse 13, when Jesus heard what had happened. And it's important to realize, what are we talking about? What had happened? What, what was it Jesus was responding to in, in the first instance? And, and I changed my mind halfway through the week on this. I started the week thinking it was one thing, and then I changed my mind and realized it was something else. Uh, at first... I thought it was what had happened with John the Baptist. Do you remember last week when Herod kills John? Uh, And John was Jesus' cousin. So so I read this at first saying, when Jesus heard that his cousin had died, he went away to a quiet place to be on his own. Perfectly understandable, reasonable thing to do when a family member uh, has has died in a brutal way like that, uh, or in any way. But I don't think that's it. Because if you remember back to last week, Richard showed us that actually the whole thing with Herod and John was a a sort of a flashback. They'd gone back in time just to remind themselves what Herod had done with John. Uh, And actually now when we get to verse 13, we're flashing forward again uh, back to the the current day as far as Matthew's uh, concerned. Uh, And so what had happened is actually calling all the way back to verse 2. Because Herod has heard about Jesus. And he started saying, "I, I think this might be John the Baptist come back to life. Herod's worried Who is this guy doing miracles, attracting crowds? Uh, He's heard about him. And so when Jesus heard about Herod's interest in him, that's when he withdrew to a solitary place. I think that's what it's saying, partly for some reasons to do with Greek grammar that I won't bore you with, uh, but also because that's what the other Gospels seem to be talking about when they talk about the feeding of the 5,000. It's about this time we hear the crowds are looking to make Jesus king by force. Uh, So the crowds are there looking for a king. I mean, they've got a horrible, unjust king like Herod. Of course they're crying out for a different kind of king. And so when Jesus hears this is in the air, there's a Herod versus Jesus thing going on, that the crowds are looking for somebody to replace this horrible King Herod, he withdraws to a solitary place. It's not what he's come to do. He's not here to take on Herod, to take on the Romans, or to build an earthly kingdom. He's not out for earthly political power. But the crowds hear it, and they follow him on foot. 
See, what happens is Jesus hears about this, so he gets in a boat, and he thinks, I'm going to sail away to, to some sort of solitary place, quiet, calm place. So you can imagine the scene. He's in the boat. The boat's drifting slowly, serenely out toward the other side of the lake, and somebody, Jesus is in the boat. That's the guy. You know the one, the one we think might be the Messiah, might be the king that God's got. Hey, get, tell your neighbors, come, quick, quick. And this crowd starts to gather, and they start to run round the lake. You can imagine the scene as the boat's drifting towards uh, where it's going, and the crowd is running round, g- growing, running round the lake to catch up. And when Jesus gets out of the boat, when he landed, verse 14, he saw a large crowd. There they are, all gathered all expectant. Are you the Messiah, Jesus? Are you going to kick out Herod, Jesus? What's going to happen, Jesus? But they've got the wrong expectation, uh, the wrong motivation for chasing him, for following him. And yet, I love verse 14. Here is this crowd with mixed motives, wrong expectations as they come to Jesus. When he saw them, he had compassion on them. And healed all those who were ill. That's a wonderful encouragement about Jesus and his character for any of us, isn't it? He's full of compassion and longs to do good to people. I don't know um, how you've come to church this morning. I don't know what your motivations or expectations of Jesus are as you come. I don't know if you have the right motivations or the right expectations. Can I be honest? Often I come to church and I know my motives are mixed and my expectations are probably not what they should be. Well, isn't verse 14 an encouragement that even so, when Jesus sees a crowd of people like that, he has compassion on them and loves to do good to help those who come to him. A lovely encouragement, I hope, for us all this morning about what a beautiful king, what a beautiful saviour Jesus is. Well, the crowds expect Jesus to build an earthly kingdom. But then the scene shifts to the disciples. And what we see about the disciples is the disciples don't expect Jesus to bring the kingdom of heaven. Uh, The crowd have followed Jesus out to this remote place. uh, And it's getting late, we're told. uh, And so the disciples worry. They think, well, no one's got any food. We're a long way away from any shops or anything like that. They're going to go hungry. They're going to starve, perhaps. So they're very reasonable. They say to Jesus, um, Jesus, uh, shouldn't we send them home? They're probably hungry, probably need a bite to eat. And then verse 16, has anyone ever, have you ever felt maybe at work that anyone's ever made an unreasonable demand of you? If you have, maybe you can sort of feel something of what must the disciples have been feeling. They don't need to go away, Jesus said. You give them something to eat. haven't got anything. I mean, 5,000 men, we're told, besides women and children. The true crowd size was more like 20,000. Have you ever been to a stadium or an arena that seats 20,000 when it's full? Uh, Can you imagine? You've just got a few scraps of food. You're looking around, and you're meant to feed this whole crowd. No way. Ridiculous. Come on, Jesus. Uh, You need a reality check. And so verse 17, they gently try and say, We've only got a very little bit, five loaves, two fish. Can you see all these people? Uh, You know, Pete's brought a bit more than probably they had, and even that wouldn't feed a room this size. 
what are the chances, Jesus? Come on, get real. But actually, it's the disciples who need a reality check, and Jesus knows that. Uh, And he says in verse 18 that the words that turn the passage around, bring them here to me. And that's what makes all the difference. It's not what they've got or how much. It's that he's there. And if they bring them to him, he can do an amazing amount. And you saw Pete tell the story. Amazingly, miraculously, he provides. He multiplies food over and over and over. And the whole crowd are fed. And then verse 20, they all ate, not just to have a scrap of food, they all ate and were satisfied. They all had enough. And not only that, but they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. I guess one for each of the 12 apostles who goes around with the basket feeding the crowd and then picks up afterwards. And they've each got a full basket. An amazing miracle. They end with more than they started with. A huge feeding. And these were Jewish folk who would have known their Old Testaments. And they would have thought back at least to two different events. One was um, the prophet Elisha was once asked to feed 100 people with just 20 loaves of bread. And they said, no, you can't do that. And Elisha said, don't worry, God's told me they'll eat and they'll have some left over. Uh, and here's Jesus again, feeding a huge number of people with a very little. But of course, the scale compared to Elisha is so much bigger, pointing us to the fact that Jesus is so much greater than Elisha. So maybe their mind would go to another uh, miracle when God's people were in a solitary place in a wilderness wandering with no food after Moses had led them out of Egypt. And what do they do? They cry out to God and he provides the bread that would feed them. Jesus is greater uh, than Elisha. In fact, he does the thing that God, the Lord, did for his people in the Old Testament. And so these things point to the fact that this is the Lord of heaven and earth himself who has broken into human history and is showing that by the things he is doing. And and there's a deep significance to this act. It's a miracle that meets one physical need there and then. They're hungry, they need food, he feeds them. But there's a much deeper significance to it. When verse 19, Jesus tells them to sit down, That's a kind of formal invitation to sit down at a a formal meal or a a banquet. That's the word that's used there. So, you know, if you're a fan of shows like Downton Abbey, you know, the butler will come and ring the bell and dinner is served and a very formal invitation to come and sit down. It's that kind of thing Jesus is doing. Come and sit at my banquet. Now, obviously, it is a bit alfresco dining, as Sarah was saying earlier, but Jesus is pointing to the fact that this strange setting with these few scraps of food is actually an invitation to a banquet, a banquet the Old Testament promised. The expectations the Old Testament had of the Messiah was that he would bring about the feast of the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a feast. It is like a party that satisfies forever. And with this miracle, Jesus isn't just feeding a hungry crowd. He's, he's pointing them that he is the king who has come, not to build an earthly kingdom, but to bring in that kingdom the Old Testament promised. 
uh, that kingdom that will never end and that will truly satisfy now and for eternity. And he invites them to the banquet, to the feast in the kingdom of heaven. And that shows us that the satisfaction they felt, uh, the satisfaction for their stomach, is also only a signpost. Because the satisfaction Jesus offers is deeper. He knows we long not just for food to fill our stomachs, but we long for truth, for meaning, for purpose, to fill our souls. And that's what the Feast of the Kingdom of Heaven is about. It fills us with truth and meaning and purpose. We live in an unsatisfying world at times. Well, here is Jesus, the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, giving us a glimpse into a better world that he is going to bring. A better kingdom. The crowd's expectations of Jesus, as it turned out, were too small. He'd come to do something bigger and better than they ever imagined. Well, what do we expect to see of this kingdom here and now? What can we learn from this passage? Uh, And I think this is the, the key point I wanted to take away. The kingdom's power comes from the king. The kingdom's power comes from the king. If we are Jesus' church, his people, part of his kingdom, uh, then the lesson we need to learn, I think, is to stay connected to him. Uh, There's lots of lessons we could learn from this. Uh, Jesus does meet the physical needs that he sees. In fact, he calls his disciples to take part in that feeding. He says, come here to me, I'll give you the bread, you go do the feeding. Uh, So, yes, meeting physical needs that we see around us will be an important part of bringing Jesus' kingdom. But those actions meeting physical needs, like this one, will carry a deeper significance. We love and serve others around us. We, We want to make their lives better around us because we want to give them a glimpse of the feast of the kingdom of heaven. There's always that level to the work we're going to do as Jesus' people because that's the work Jesus did. We always want to point people beyond the lives and kingdoms they might be building here to a much better place where he is Lord, where he is King. What should we expect of that work? Well, you can see a few bullet points on the screen. We can expect to be included. Jesus doesn't just say, well, I've got the power, so you sit down and I'll do it all. No, you bring me what you've got, says Jesus. Uh, And then he takes the five loaves, the two fish, he gives thanks, he breaks them, starts multiplying them, and he gives them to the disciples to go and give to the crowd. So if you're a follower of Jesus, expect him to include you. Uh, We need to expect to have to come to him and to rely on him and depend on him. And often we'll come thinking we've got so little to offer. Uh, Can I say, as as a minister, often how I feel on a Sunday morning. Uh, You come thinking, whoa, I just don't understand this enough. I don't have enough here. I'm not enough. I I can't feed the people with your word, Lord. I've got so little. And Jesus says, don't you worry about that. You come to me. You rely on me. Pray. (laughs) Rely on me. Get close to me. I've got the power to provide and supply. He does a lot with a little. 
and they must keep connected to him. That's going to be important for us as a church. As we work out what God wants us to be doing here, we need to listen to him in his word. Not just do our own thing, think, well, this is what we want to be doing as a church. Because if we're expecting to do this, but Jesus is actually over here doing this, and we get disconnected from him, well, we're disconnected from the one who has the power to bring the kingdom of heaven. And so it's going to be vitally important for us as a people to be listening to Jesus, listening to his word, and staying close and connected to him as we seek to do his mission in the world. Well, there are just a few thoughts about how uh, we might apply this, we might think about this. Now, as we do that, and particularly when we feel we have so little to bring to Jesus, you know, it could feel overwhelming, couldn't it? Well, what have we got to serve him? And that's where, going back to verse 14 and remembering the character of this king, I think, is so vital. Not only does he have the power to provide miraculously, abundantly. But he's the one who's a compassionate king. Unfailingly kind. And he loves it when people come to him. Even with mixed motives. Imagine how much he loves it when people come wanting to listen to him, be close to him, connected to him. Seeking to bring his kingdom into the world. 